All right, and welcome back to Real Talk Sports with Rico, as I will be your host today. Um, we have an exciting episode today. We're actually just talking about the NFL and their collective bargaining agreement. Uh, before I do so, I want to definitely go ahead and thank our platform, which is Anchor, for allowing us to have a platform to put the show on. I want to go ahead and thank all our sponsors out there who, once again, are helping us pay the bills here. Then also, too, I want to go ahead and thank all our fans here who are actually chiming in on a week-to-week basis uh, to chime in on our topics here. So without further ado, um, we're going to go ahead and jump into the NFL collective bargaining agreement here. So I know we still have some time here before some football is played, and it is in February, but this is a big deal. I mean, the NFL CBA here is set to be... um, it's in negotiation currently right now, but obviously with this negotiation, what's going to happen is it's going to affect the NFL um, and the way that the players and the owners actually um, are tied together for the next 10 years. So this is kind of a big deal. Um, you know, the last time that there was a CBA agreement here was back in 2011. So now it is time to to basically go ahead and renegotiate here, or at least there's one season left under the current collective bargaining agreement before they would have to negotiate but they're trying to get to a point now where they wouldn't have any work stoppage so without further ado let's jump into the uh, first topic here and this is based off you know kind of what uh, i've read here on a couple of articles mainly i think espn's dan gazarno he did a great job here from talking about the collective bargaining agreement um so just taking a look at it uh, you know just the first issue there is the revenue split So currently right now, you know, the players are sitting at about 47% of all the league revenue um, over the 10-year life of the deal. And currently players are getting more say on kind of what the -the over-the-top revenue is. So what that means is simply, you know, from the fans out there, okay, there is an over-the-top revenue before, you know, they kind of take out everything and it basically uh, gets down to like the kind of the the raw revenue. So when you look at the two sides right now, you know, there's a couple different things into this revenue split. You know, first off, you have like stadium costs and what they call stadium credits, which we'll get into. And then you have your TV dollars and all that stuff like that. So the players are essentially trying to get the 47% off the top here before anything is kind of taken away. So when you think about it, you know, if you're taking 47%, that 47% could easily drop to like 40 or lower really if, you know, if they're not getting they're not getting the money, you know, before, you know, everything's kind of shaved off the top of that. So that's one of the main concerns there for, you know, the players and what they're trying to do and establish. They want that 47% or more really uh, to want to have, you know, just more revenue share with the, with the owners, you know, and that's where the other percentage of the, the revenue is going is to the owners. And so when one of the things that's kind of coming up here is like the stadium credits, right? And so that, what that is saying here is like, you know, the owners are essentially taking some of the money off the top or some of those shares and the revenue to build new stadiums. You know, for example, you know, like the Bills, they need a new stadium. Uh, I guess Washington's looking to renovate their stadium, Jacksonville, uh, you know, Carolina, and also to this project that's taking place here in Los Angeles with the Rams and the Chargers. You know, this is an example of where you would see owners here taking uh, money to what they call stadium credits 
which is, you know, important for the owners here because with those stadium credits, you know, you're able to go ahead and take some of that money and build upon a stadium. So that's that's something that's very important here um, in the negotiations. Next thing they're talking about here is the franchise tag, the fifth year option and the fully funded rule, which I thought was pretty interesting when you look at this, because we talked about this a little bit with Dak Prescott and we talked about the whole deal with him being on his rookie deal. And when you're on your rookie deal, pretty much, you know, your your team has your rights, but they also can place like a transition tag on you which makes it tougher for you actually to meet the free agent market and then also too to get the value that you would expect to get from a guy like Dak Prescott. So I thought I found it very, very interesting here um, that the players are kind of, you know, it's not one of the sticking points, but it is one of the things that is in discussion when you talk about it. Um, you know, I think that the players are looking to possibly get in a favorable situation where, you know, as a rookie, uh, maybe that contract is a little bit lesser as far as the years are concerned. And it also gives the rookies who especially who excel, you know, a better chance to meet the free agent market or at least be able to get paid for the value that they're they're needing to be paid. Because like I said, you know, you look at Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott in his what second or third year he was probably amongst the most winning quarterbacks in the NFL, but he was only getting paid on a rookie salary. So it's stuff like that, that, you know, as a player, I think I, I definitely see the merit and where the players would want to get paid a little bit more um, quickly, especially if you're a rookie that maybe is excelling. So that's maybe one of the things that I kind of maybe would kind of mention if I were in there would say, you know, hey, is there something that basically would allow a player who is i don't know excelling at that position or whatever the case may be you know within the contract to be able to 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 maybe you know skip out on a year or something like that or maybe they need to make it to where it's only a three-year deal versus you know a four-year deal or two-year deal versus a a four-year deal at the rookie rate you know so that's one of the things that's kind of up for debate and the other thing that too I found was very very interesting is that, <clears throat> and this was this was a shocker to me. They're talking about fully guaranteed contracts in there, which is kind of just when you look at like the the Major League Baseball and you look at the NBA, there are some guaranteed contracts in there. But then when you get to the the NFL, I guess <laughs> the fact that there could possibly be. Um, be a guaranteed contract is kind of like a fallacy <laughs> uh, but what I'm understanding here is that there's only one player that really has been successful in doing that and that's Kirk Cousins and I found it interesting because it led into another point which is the fully funded rule and this is something that it was like a real head scratcher for me but it's more or less like okay you know and they took an example of like Kirk Cousins saying that hey if he got paid uh, you know his deal is fully guaranteed, but $25.5 million of that in the first year, right, he gets. But then there's $58.5 million that they kind of put off aside in like kind of like an escrow account just to make sure that they kind of cover, they're able to cover the cost of that contract, which I, I found it very interesting because you think about it nowadays. I mean, look, the NFL is probably, I mean, it's probably one of the biggest you know conglomerates out there i think it was i was reading the stat here where it's it's grossing just about 15 billion per year and maybe more you know but 15 billion per year and then you're looking at teams that actually sell for about 2 billion a piece 
I, I mean, certainly I kind of agree with the fact that that rule should probably be uh, eradicated or taken out of the books because you just think about the fact that most of these NFL teams have more than enough money, it seems like, to pay its players, to pay its staff. And, you know, it just seems like if it is a fully guaranteed contract, somehow you get a fully guaranteed contract. It just seems to me that, you know, you should be able to pay that player its money or their money um, off the top. You know what I mean? And it's one of those things like I get where, you know, you can write it in the verbiage that if they don't show up and all this stuff and all that stuff, I get it. I get it. But, you know, if that's not in play, I definitely agree, you know, that the, the fully funded rule would be something that I think should be possibly taken out of there. And then I think if they're looking at the franchise tag, if you're looking at the franchise tag and you're thinking about, okay, how can that rule be, be you know, changed or how could it be better? I, I kind of side maybe with the players and then just kind of as a fan, I, I just don't understand like how NFL teams, man, can continue to keep franchise tagging a guy that they're just not willing to pay the money for. You know, personally, I'm a Washington Redskins fan, so having to watch Kirk Cousin go year to year to year like that, it was kind of annoying, man. And I think, like, you know, I think, and it's, it's just siding with the players in the sense that I think that, you know, if I were Kirk Cousins and I'm playing on this one-year, you know, deal all the time, I think that the, the, the teams that continue to throw out that franchise tag in order to keep a player, I think it should be some type of penalty or I think it should be like a steeper, a steeper cost that they should pay each year that they keep franchise tagging your, your a guy like that. You know, I think at some point you have to get to a point where it's like, look, if we're not getting negotiations done and you franchise tag me once or twice, I think at some point in time, like we need to sit down as two sides and we need to just say that, hey, this is not going to be the best interest for us. Like we need to do something else. So that's that's kind of my take on like the franchise tag. And then also too, just kind of give me a brief thing with the fifth year option. I think that, you know, that's something that probably should be changed. Um, you know, look at a guy like, I mean, look at look at uh, Saquon Barkley for, for crying out loud. I mean, saying Saquon Barkley is on a rookie deal still. But you look at Saquon, or Saquon Barkley and you look at his production when he's on the field, he might be one of the best running backs out there. You know what I mean? Like, I'd have to look at the statistics and have to look at what he's been doing. But at some point, I can see that being an issue because he's going to take a look at um, Ezekiel Elliott's deal and go, well, wait a minute. You know, I know I'm still in my rookie deal, but I'm producing just as much as more as him, but I'm not getting paid that way. And He's stuck in that contract unless he does like a holdout and then, you know, with the holdouts and, you know, how ridiculous that can be for both sides. So it's got to be something that I think is done mutually for for players and teams who are in that situation. So that's another thing, too, to take a look at um, and what's going on here with the collective bargaining agreement. Then the next thing to to take a look at here is um, I guess it's the increasing games like that's been a really big one and i think if you've been following twitter you've been following espn um you know facebook and whatever else you know that the players are able to go ahead and um you know get their faces on and really voice their opinion it's the fact that it goes from 16 games up to 17 games and i even read that possibly up to 18 games and they would actually take out two preseason contests which is very interesting to me 
And so as a football fan, I look at that and I go, okay, well, the preseason to me, I know it's just, it's, it's really less sexy for us as, as football fans because, yes, you want to go ahead and you want to see the players in some live action. It would be great to see them, you know, participate. And I think, personally, to be honest with you, I think that they should maybe push the season up to where it's 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 sooner versus you know adding games on later because you know just looking at a statistic in the article it was saying that like when you push it up just those two games the average career leave goes from 3.4 years down to 2.8 and that's significant man like you know what i mean like if you're only expected to last three to four years in the nfl and you're talking about that extra that extra couple games or game or so can actually be the difference in your career like that's interesting to me man it's like at football when you look at it man it's it's a tough sport man it's a tough sport it's not for the faint of heart I mean especially if you're playing one of those power positions whether it's the quarterback running back uh, offensive lineman like those guys those guys are getting hit every single play man so when you talk about that you know they're landed on the line and, you know, there's a chance that they may not see as much money on the, the, the back end of that. Definitely is something that's a cause of concern. And I definitely kind of side with the players if they feel like they don't want to kind of sign that deal. Um, you know, and looking at the preseason in that situation, when I look at the preseason, I think about uh, something that's common here that we've talked about this weekend about the XFL. You notice how the XFL games are getting a little bit more crisper each week that we carry along like i think the turnovers are kind of starting to go down and stuff like that and what that is is that you see what happens when you have a shortened preseason or a shortened mini camp you know it's one of those things where i don't know if you put the two games on the back end and you take the two games off the the front end or you take two of the preseason games is it something where we are basically setting the players up are we setting the league up for something that it's not a good product that would be my concern you know because the, the league is doing so well as it is now my question is does the quality of the football games does does it take the guys two or three games to really get get acclimated and get into football form if you take the two preseason games off, right? And then also too, like, you know, from an evaluation of a talent standpoint, are we giving guys that are really, you know, they're on the bubble, are they getting enough enough chances to possibly make an NFL roster, right? Like there's several stories and several, there's, I'm sure there's several teams out there who benefited from the fact that, hey, you know, we got a chance to take a look at somebody in the the off or not the off season but we got a chance to take a look at them during the preseason and they kind of helped our club in one way shape or form so that'd be kind of a question that i would have you know mainly first of all going into the 16 to 18 and then the, the next thing also too is just the physicality of it you know from a physical standpoint okay so does that mean that if you're adding a game or two games on at the back end does this mean that mini camps are now shortened um, does this mean that, you know, the conditioning and all that stuff like that, that has to play a factor. So you're telling me you want guys to play longer in the season, right? You want them to play longer in the season, but we're saying that we're going to have a shortened preparation time. So that's the kind of thing where it's like, 
where does it really make sense? That's like kind of the, the catch 22 of it. You know, I, I know from, you know, from the owner's standpoint that maybe you're thinking, okay, you know, we're getting our product out there longer, right? We're getting more chances to secure, uh, you know, the TV deals and stuff like that and all the kind of stuff that they're able to get out of that for the next two games. But what do the players kind of get out of that? Because the players are the ones that are going to have to put themselves on the line. Like it's already tough enough to go through 16 games and then continue on to a playoff format and then into the Super Bowl. That's a, that's a lot of hits. That's a lot of hits, man. It's a lot of hits. So I find that very interesting, man. And especially like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see where that, that ends because right now, you know, you're already getting people say no based off the fact that they're like, hey, you know, for this extra game or extra two games, is it really worth it in the long term? You know what I mean? That's that's a that's a big, big question. And so moving on to the next um, the next and the next challenge, I guess, in the collective bargaining agreement here is the drug policy here, which I mean, it seems like it, it when I read it, it seems very interesting, excuse me, in the sense that <clears throat> when you're looking at it. I think that they're doing a great job in addressing, you know, sort of the, the mental health aspects of the games. Um, obviously, with how the, the long term conclude the or long term con- long term um, concussions or you know the hits that are taken and stuff like that. And I would dare to say that, you know, at some point in time, you know, as far as in the collective bargaining agreements, what if they were, what if they changed the kickoff format? I, I kind of talked about that with the XFL and how I like that, that format. I could see something like that being brought up in this collective bargaining to kind of help players for the long-term health, you know, as far as a- increasing a career here. And as far as the drug policy, you know, one of the, the things that the article talked about was kind of moving to something like an NHL, NH, NHL format where basically, I guess NHL or NHL players are able to go out there and essentially, you know, if they test positive for marijuana, it's fine. They can still play, but it also too kind of flags to a team, okay, maybe there's another issue going on that this 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 type of drug is really helping a player through something else. And when you look at the benefits of marijuana and you look at the, all the things that are said about it, I mean, I just actually saw something recently here with a couple of NBA players and they're talking about it like, hey, you know, actually marijuana is what's kind of held me together towards throughout my career, you know, because from a medical standpoint, it, uh, you know, maybe it, it helped with kind of the pain that they have suffered throughout contests and throughout years of putting their body on the line. And also, too, you know, it, for some people, it, it does help from, you know, the mental side uh, as far as getting into a calmer effect and things like that. So there's so many statistical things and, and there's so many things like that we have to look at medically here that says that it's good to go. There's a lot of stuff that's saying that it's good. And so with that being said, you know, I kind of aside with the players in the sense that if they were to basically eliminate that, I think that that would be a good thing. I think it's something that, um, you know, you want to give the players every opportunity to, um, to to be in their most natural state and then also, too, to be at their healthiest point. And so I'm all about it. You know, if they have the statistics showing that, hey, you know, this is a benefit for them and this is a benefit for the league, it's a benefit for their bodies in which they lay on the line every weekend or every Sunday, then I say you go ahead and you simply eliminate that out of the drug policy. 
And I think it's something that uh, I think it's something that 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 is 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 long overdue. And I think that it is something that uh, the NFL should definitely take a look at. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, just pretty much what the commissioner's role is as far as going ahead and disciplining people and stuff like that. <laughs> like, I found that kind of interesting because, you know, Commissioner Gordell, he, he doesn't really play. <laughs> he does not play, man. He does not play. And I think, you know, he's, from what I understand, you know, I think players are, uh, Wow, I, I think the players are kind of hand in hand with Commissioner Gordell, from what I read here. I mean, there's not a whole bunch of, 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 of instances where, you know, the commissioners had to step in. And I mean, over the time that the commissioner has stepped in, for the most part, not too many people have really fought the commissioner about it. So it's interesting. I mean, I think it's something that, you know, maybe Commissioner Gordell, or Gordell, excuse me, would maybe he would probably maybe be interested in seeing if there's another way that this can be handled where he wouldn't have to step in. Um, you know, I definitely think he would be for sure interested in hearing these things. But as of right now, you know, from what the commissioner does and how he's kind of hands on and disciplined the players and stuff like that, I personally don't have a problem with it. Um, I think that everything that he's pretty much done for the most part, I think has been, is been spot on. I mean, there are some instances where it's kind of been a head scratcher for the most part. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I think that, you know, what Commissioner Cradell does as far as, uh, you know, disciplining players and stuff like that, I think that it's, it's spot on. So, you know, those were kind of the main things that uh, were talked about here throughout this article about uh, the NFL collective bargaining agreement. Um, you know, I, I really fully expect something to get done you know soon it could drag on another year um i mean because this is pretty important when you think about it i mean this is going to change the way the players and the owners you know kind of interact for the next 10 years so i agree with russell wilson that you know it's it's definitely something that you don't want to rush to sign on to especially when it's something that can change the fortune of the next 10 years, you know? So that's something that I totally agree with the players and taking their time and going ahead to sign this deal. So with that being said, um, this has been Real Talk Sports with Rico. Um, I want to go ahead and thank our platform again, Anchor, for actually hosting our show. I want to go ahead and thank all our sponsors out there for helping us pay the bills here. And then also, too, for the fans who have chimed in uh, from week to week and really giving us their thoughts here on the show. So we'll be back here for the uh, next show. All right. Take care.